So that actually uh, came out of a Stanford, University of Stanford test in 1972. And they also tracked those children as they grew up and how they handled temptation. This morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to examine how Adam and Eve handled temptation. A much better, bigger temptation than whether you can hold off from eating a marshmallow in order to get a second one. Let's pray and ask for God's wisdom. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be uh, encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with you and recognize the incredible gift through your son, Jesus Christ, as described in, in the results of Adam and Eve's choosing to sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptation. Temptation is the consideration of sin. Genesis chapter 3 is a crossroads in human history. We see that man chose to disobey God and God's plan of redemption was put into action. All of history was altered because of the sin of Adam and Eve. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 says, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. This morning I'd like us to look at Satan's sin and salvation, a, a picture of what takes place in Genesis chapter 3. Satan. Satan's strategy is to cause us to question God's word, his goodness, or both. We see that Satan began by disguising himself to Eve, and then he began to question God. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We must recognize and respect the enemy. Although he is not all-powerful, Satan is powerful. Although he is not all-knowing, Satan is cunning. The Bible gives different titles to Satan demonstrating his power and his deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he's called the serpent. Revelation 12, he's called the dragon. 1 Peter 5.8 refers to him as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's called Abaddon and Apollyon, which means destroyer. He has the title of Satan, which means adversary. He is also called the devil. Devil meaning slanderer. John 8.44 tells us that he is a murderer, that he is the father of lies. And so Satan asked, did God really say? And just like with Adam and Eve, Satan will challenge and tempt us to question God's word, God's goodness, or both. 
If you're involved at all in athletics, you need to recognize your enemy and respect them. One of the greatest parts of a, an upset is when the team that's predicted to win doesn't really respect their opponent. We don't need to fear Satan, but we need to understand that Satan is powerful, that he is cunning, and that he desires to destroy us. So Satan asks, did God really say? And then we see in Genesis 3, 2 and 3, Eve's response. It said, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree or of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we can see here that Satan's strategy is already working. Eve added to and took away from God's command concerning the tree. You go back to chapter 2. Jezer last week looked at chapter 2, looked at marriage. But also in chapter 2, we see that excuse me, that God shared his initial command with Adam and with Eve. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Notice Eve's response to Satan here in chapter 3 in comparison to God's command that he gave to Adam just a chapter before. She added, not only could you not eat it, but you couldn't even touch it. That wasn't part of God's command. Think back to your childhood. For some of us, it's a little further back than others. But when you think back to your childhood, I was amazed that that other children that I lived around actually had chores. I thought I was the only one that had chores. And my mom and dad could give me 99 things that I could do and one thing that I couldn't, and what was my focus? The thing that I couldn't do. And I would take it even a step further when when I would exaggerate what they wouldn't allow me to do or things that I thought they made me to do that I didn't want to do. So we see that we question our parents' goodness, their word, (coughs) excuse me, their plan for us. She also removed the word freely from what God said. God said you could freely eat of all the trees except this one. She uh, happened to just leave out that word freely. If you look at the picture there, that demonstrates all the amazing things that God allowed Adam and Eve to do. But she was exaggerating the restrictions that God had placed upon them. And then it says in chapter 2, you shall surely die, but she changed it to lest you die which seems to lessen the assurance of the punishment. And so so Eve was doubting God's goodness and doubting God's word. And that's what Satan does. He deceives us. And he deceived 
Eve. Notice Satan's response in verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the serpent, and it was Satan through the serpent, <clears throat> said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now Satan got what God said correct in the idea of you shall surely die. But then he completely contradicted God. And Satan comes in and he has this question God's goodness, question God's plan, question God's word. And then he says, well, what God's saying isn't true. He denied God's word. He denied the wisdom of God's love and God's plan. And if you look through history, Romans chapter 1 shares the conclusion of falling to Satan's strategy. And in verse 25 it says this, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Satan's strategy is to cause us to question God. Did God really say... Or is this really what's most beneficial for you? And we begin to question God. And then we see next sin, their choice. Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan rather than God, and in that they sinned. James chapter 1 shares the consequences of sin in verses 13 through 15. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we see what happens when we fall to temptation. The word entice there is a, comes from a fishing term, and it means abated hook. Some of you are better fishermen than I am. And I remember trying to learn to fly fish as a teenager. And so I, I learned, I had a couple friends, that we, we did a little fly tying. One of our teachers taught a fly tying class, and we really liked our teachers, so that sort of drew us into that. And so we, we did that, and we went out and fly fish. But I... Uh, I thought I was pretty good, but I wasn't, because any smart fish would recognize that. So we went up to this little lake outside of Bozeman, and they had these grayling in this lake. And, you know, they were about this long, really large, giant fish. But the cool thing was, I mean, my leader was all wrapped up. My flies that I had tied were pretty pathetic-looking things, and... But I could throw it out there, and those grayling would just go for it. And, and those were the only fish I caught fly fishing in that time period of my life because I wasn't very good at enticing the fish. But Satan is very good at enticing us. He knows our weaknesses. Now, again, he is not all-knowing but he is wise and cunning. And so he baits the hook. And we must 
recognize the bait. But Adam and Eve didn't. They chose to sin. Sin starts in the mind. It leads to action. And the ultimate result of sin is death. Verses 6 and 7, we read them before, describes the sin of Adam and Eve. Beginning in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Satan has not changed his strategy. It has been effective throughout history, and he continues the same one. It's sort of like the team that's dominant. It says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Try to stop it. Satan's strategy has worked throughout history. He attacks in three basic areas. We see that in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Notice how or what happened with Eve when she looked at the fruit. She saw that it was good. It looked good. She was confident that it would taste good. And she was excited about the lust of the pride of life being like God. Satan does the same thing today that he did then. His temptation. It looks good. It it feels good. And it makes me excited about my pride. Adam and Eve faced the same temptation we did our way or God's way. I want to be in the center rather than God in the center. I want to be the one calling the shots. I want to do what makes me feel good. I want to do what looks good. But just like all of Satan's temptation, his promises are counterfeit and ultimately costly. He tries to get us to believe that that there won't be any cost to the choices we make. It'll be fine. Enjoy it now. Immediate gratification rather than trusting God. The pictures and the reenactment of that 1972 Stanford test with the marshmallows. Were those children able to say, I'm going to hold off because I know in the long run holding off will benefit me more? Or do I just go ahead now? But Satan's lies are counterfeit. They have no ultimate value. I remember as we, uh, as many of you know, our church has taken different missionary trips throughout the years to different areas. And and we've gone to Mexico a, a number of times. And, and I remember going to Mexico, and what we would do is, is we would go down there, we would work in with a place called Mexican Medical, and did some really uh, amazing things that God did in, in our lives. We learned more than we uh, 
shared, I think, but uh, as, as God used that and, and we were able to work with the people there and they had an amazing ministry. And, but on the last day, we tried to make it just an enjoyable day and they had these open markets and stuff like that. So we'd, we'd sort of do that the last day before we left. And I remember in one year particularly, it's happened more than once, but one year particularly, one of the, one of the marketplaces was Oakley Sunglasses. Now, if you've uh, tr priced out Oakley sunglasses, they're very expensive. But it was amazing. This guy had Oakley sunglasses for five American dollars. I mean, amazing. So we had, we had a, a bunch of teenagers with us, and they weren't the only ones who fell to the temptation, by the way. But uh, uh, this guy had a great day selling... Oakley sunglasses to the gringos. And so, I mean, these kids were so excited. They, they said, man, I can't wait till I go back and all my friends see me with my Oakleys. Well, the amazing thing was, these Oakley sunglasses were evidently allergic to vans, because we were driving in vans. And, and by the time we got back across the border, the, the the paint was peeling. All kinds of things were happening to these Oakley sunglasses. They were counterfeit. And Satan's plans are counterfeit. And even though we say, well, this is what I want. This is going to be great. We can be confident that Satan's plans will destroy us. They are counterfeit. And, and we, we, get a, we get a false idea of God in a couple different ways. One is we question whether God really cares about us. Josh McDowell, you know, it was actually a, <clears throat> a middle school study and I, from quite a few years ago. And it's, was, I remember the title, God is not a cosmic killjoy. His goal is not to make our life miserable. But he is the one who knows what's best. And here was Eve and, and Adam also. And they saw the fruit and, and all they could think about was the restrictions of God. How could a loving God keep them from doing what they wanted to do? And they knew what was best. And because of their choice, sin entered into the world. And Romans 5 tells us that sin entered into the world and death by sin, so all have died for all have sinned. All of history was changed because of the choice that Adam and Eve made, the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Saint, Satan wanted them to believe that there were no consequences. Another, another thing that we, we believe, <clears throat> we say, well, well, God wants me to be happy. More than one time I've heard the 
consistent statement. Well, yeah, I'm going to do this, and I know really it goes against God's word, but God wants me to be happy. You know, God wants to give us real joy, but God, we need to change the word there. God wants me to be holy, like Jesus Christ. And we will find that that is the only way we will have true joy. And when we really think about it, what a foolish statement to say, well, yeah, I know this really goes against what God's Word says, but God wants me to be happy. No, God wants us to follow Him because He sees the end result. And He knows what's best. And we look at our world today and, and decisions that people are making and going completely against the Word of God, and we're like, well, but God understands. Well, God loves us unconditionally, but there are consequences to sin. And we see the consequences that are mentioned here. In verse 8, Genesis chapter 3, It says this, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We see that their sin caused guilt and shame. Because of their guilt, because of their shame, they they tried to cover up, they tried to hide themselves, they tried to cover their sin. They attempted to hide from God. And they also, we see a few verses later, that they attempted to blame others for what they did. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. We do the same thing today that Adam and Eve did then. We want to blame others. And and Adam had a lot of gall. You notice what he said? He said, the woman that you gave me. Not only was it Eve's fault, but it was God's fault. Now just a chapter earlier, Adam was saying, wow, thank you God. And now he's saying, God, look what you did. Look what she did. And so I can imagine what was going through Adam's mind when God turned to Eve. (laughs) Adam's like, I got out of that one. Because then God asked Eve. And so what did she do? She says, well, God, it was the Satan, or the serpent, excuse me, really Satan. And then, if you go to verse 14, God speaks to the serpent the snake and I think that that Adam and Eve probably thought (laughs) they got away with it yeah the snake that's the one that really should be punished it's not my fault 
What do we do? What's our, our natural response as sinful human beings? First of all, to say, you know, I'm entitled. What makes me feel good? What I want to do? That's what I'm going to do. I don't care how it affects others. I don't care how it affects the people around me or my relationship with God. I want to do it. I want to do it now. And then, well, it's really not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And we, we want to blame others, and, and we want to hide from God. And you think about how ridiculous is that? We try to hide from an all-knowing God. When Adam and Eve heard God in the garden, what did they do? They hid themselves, and they tried to cover themselves. But look at God's response. <clears throat> God asks them a question. Adam, what you doing? Eve, why did you do that? He asks Adam and Eve a series of question and questions in verses 8 through 13. I remember as a child when my parents would ask me questions. I knew I was in trouble. Because they knew what had happened. God knew. Adam, where are you? <laughs> As if he didn't know. Adam, what are you trying to do? As if he didn't know. God knows it all. And we cannot hide from him. And we need to recognize it's our sin. So the consequence of sin, it was more than just guilt and shame. We see in verse, beginning in verse 14 that the, the snake would crawl on its belly. And then verse 15 we're going to come back to in just a minute. A punishment really of Satan. And then in verses 16 and 17, the punishments to Eve and to Adam. Pain in childbirth. Difficulty and pain in work. And, and by the way, Say, see, work is bad. Genesis 3.17, work is bad. Actually, work took place before Genesis 3.17. It just became hard because of our sin. But the ultimate consequence was death. Both physical and spiritual death. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, physically would have an end to their life and every person who has ever lived. What are the two things we're guaranteed? Go ahead. Death and taxes, right? <clears throat> yeah. We all die. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that everything is falling apart, including us. We will die physically. But Adam and Eve died spiritually. Their sin separated them from God. And each and every one of us, our sin separates us from God. 
For as by one man, again back to Romans 5, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We all sin, we all fall short of God's standard. God's standard is holiness. And we as sinners don't meet the standard. So Genesis 3 seems like a pretty sorry passage. Pretty negative. Satan is powerful. He baits the hook. We're sinners. We die. We struggle with guilt and shame, pain in childbirth, struggles in work. Weeds grow. Good plants don't. Mosquitoes bite. All these things. But God doesn't leave us without hope. You see that God's love is seen even in the dark times. When sin showed up, the promise of Jesus showed up also. God's plan of redemption was put into motion. We call it salvation. Verse 15, Genesis 3 says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's called the Proto-Evangelium or the first evangelism. And here's what was happening. This is the, the punishment to the snake, but really ultimately in verse 15, the punishment to Satan. And it was a punishment to Satan, but it's a promise to each and every person's every lived. God has made a way to bring us eternal life. To keep us from the spiritual death that we deserve. You see what happened? God was telling Satan, listen, you're going to try to destroy me. You're going to try to destroy my son. And you will bruise his heel. Now, and again, I think this, this can be something we can, we can take and we can stretch things, but it, you picture it, when a person dies on the cross, they really die of suffocation. And what they do, they, they can live as long as they can push up. And they'll use their heels and they'll push up on the, on the cross to be able to get another breath. And they say one of the things that happens when a person is crucified is they, is they struggle for breath as their heels are bruised. Now again, I, I think it's an amazing small point in a much bigger point. Satan tried and, dis- and failed to destroy Jesus. But then it says, and he shall bruise your head, a fatal blow. Because Jesus' work on the cross defeats death and defeats Satan. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Satan's power will not keep us from eternal life. God has the victory. But I want us to think about that for a second. It's interesting in verse 7 that one of the first things that Adam and Eve did after they sinned 
probably the first thing we, we can imagine. They, went, they hid, but they also attempted to cover their sin. And they've made fig leaves to cover, or a fig leaf covering. But you know what? <clears throat> That's just a picture of what mankind has tried to do throughout history. We have tried to earn our way to God. We have tried to explain ourselves. We have tried to blame others. We have tried all these things to show why we are worthy. But they all fall short. So as we see in those verses, God talks about the punishment of sin and ultimate punishment of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. But then at the end, he does something that's very interesting. It says, and God took and killed an animal and used that to cover Adam and Eve to make clothes for them the sacrifice of the animal to provide a covering for Adam and Eve is a picture of the sacrifice of God to provide a covering Pay for our sins. In verse 21, it says this. It says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Jesus Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. I hope you're not here this morning trying to be a seamstress. Sowing your fig leaves, trying to do it yourself because it's inadequate. The only covering that will truly cover the cost of our sin is the, is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you're trying any other way to get to heaven, it's going to fail miserably. Sort of like the Fig Leaf Clothing Company. Didn't work out very well. But God sent His Son to die for you. In the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, in the midst of their turning their back on God and listening to the lies and falling to the temptation of Satan, God's love never wavered. And his plan was put in place. A plan that is a perfect plan. And a plan that is our only hope. So this morning, if you have never prayed, ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, to be your Savior, a tr trust in his sacrifice as the covering for your sin. This morning, I challenge you to do that, to simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I come to you, I ask you to forgive my sins, to, to come into my life and to be my Savior. And to accept that gift of God. And you can do that right now where you are sitting 
in your seat in faith, recognizing your sinfulness and trusting God's provision. And God has promised that he will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west, that he will cleanse us from our unrighteousness, that his payment will cover the penalty of our sin. And if you're here this morning and you say, yeah, you know, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. My eternal home in heaven is set. But boy, I'm struggling with temptation. I'm struggling. And we all every day struggle with temptation. And we all sin. It's sort of like the guy that was going on the diet and, and the people at his workplace were just amazed. He was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, one day, he, he comes in and he has this giant set of things from this bakery, his favorite bakery that he'd always used to stop by. And they said, so what happened? He said, well, you know, I, when I went on my diet, I decided to take another route to work by, so I wouldn't go by the bakery. But he said, you know, this morning it was amazing. I didn't even think about that, just out of old habit. I, I went by the bakery and I said, God, this must be it. You must be telling me something. So if it's true, that I should stop and get some food at this bakery. Lord, I'll believe it's a sign from you if there's an open spot to park in front of the bakery. And they said, well, what happened? He said, well, it was amazing. The eighth time around the block, there was a spot. <laughs> That's what we can be like. We need to recognize our enemy. He is powerful, he is cunning, he entices, but we need to recognize that God's word is true, his plan is good, and best for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the, the deadly destruction of falling to temptation. Lord, help us to recognize that we need to trust you. You are our only hope for salvation and also in our daily life. Help us to serve and to trust you. Lord, help us to rely on your strength rather than our own. Help us to look to your plan rather than our plan. And we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.